0: 702
1: The Naked Scientist Time for The Naked Scientist And uh, Chris, Dr. Chris Smith is with us 11 883 In the WhatsApp line 72 Doctor, how are you doing?
0: I'm not going to talk about it <laughs> That's all I'm going to say I'm not going to talk about it
1: Look, let me say this At least we know that you're supporting South Africa in the finals.
0: <laughs> At least we well, know. I, I am not. I mean, I, I was, I, well, I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> it, was, it was a hard two minutes, put it that way.
1: Okay. We will touch on it next week as we are the champions of the world. I'm saying it here. When we speak on Monday, Monday, we will be champions. I'm, I'm putting it out there. I have to ask a question, um, doctor. So earlier on, we're speaking about, um, um, inclusivity when it comes to books uh, for children uh, around um, deaf characters, deaf children, and we got a message that reads as follows: saying, "Such an interesting topic. It wasn't it Beethoven or Mozart who went deaf but continued writing symphonies which are played to this day." And I'm curious, um, in those scenarios where a person is deaf, is it the muscle memory that allows them to continue? To compose and make music and do things like that. I mean, we know that, um, it will, there will be certain vibrations, but is there something else like frequencies or tones that are being experienced for a person to keep composing?
0: Mm, brilliant point, and the best analogy to this is to think about what happens when a person goes blind. If a person has never been able to see, then asking them to imagine a colour like red or green would be impossible, and it just is meaningless to them. But ask a person who has gone blind later in their life, if they know what you mean when you said a person went red in the face, or mm. what a red traffic signal looks like, they will say, oh yes, no problem. And in fact, some of my blind friends who've gone blind later in life have told me, they actually quite relish going to sleep because when they have dreams, they can see again. It's almost like they're back in the end of the sea. Oh, wow, And because you have that neurological correlate that enables you to make sense of what that stimulus, red, looks like, you can picture it in your mind because you can recreate the effect in your brain that your brain would have summoned up or you can summon up the effect of red had you seen it for real. Now, it's the same with music. And a very experienced musician has an enormous amount of cognitive bandwidth the connectivity between the, the areas of the brain that are concerned with how you decode sounds and how sounds sound together means that they can compose in their head and they can hear what that will sound like in a proper auditorium with a big orchestra playing it, even though they can't hear it for real. Same with artists, really good artists who've lost their, their power of vision as they've got older. Yes, it has changed the nature of their art a bit, but it hasn't changed the accomplishment or the quality of their art. And it's the same with these composers. Because they become so skilled and they were already incredibly skilled to start with. Robbing them of the ability to hear it doesn't rob them of the ability to perceive it in their mind's ear, as it were. And that's exactly what they were largely doing.
1: I completely get that. Thank you so much for that one, Doctor Chris Smith. O oh, double one double eight three oh seven oh two. Let us go to is it Kumbulani or Kubulani from Centurion? Yes, hi. My question is, is it possible to prevent or to stop the progression of
0: vitiligo? Mm, Good question. First of all, what's vitiligo? Well, vitiligo is an autoimmune condition, and it is where a component of the immune system attacks the melanin-producing cells in the skin and destroys them and this robs that patch of skin of the ability to produce the black pigment melanin so the pit, the skin in that patch looks much whiter now in white skin it looks a bit paler and it doesn't stand out too much but in a black person you get an obvious white patch which can be very off-putting from disco- discoloration can be very stressful for a person it affect the body it the cells that make hair as well so as a result loses color in those affected patches it can be progressive just affect one plus place and then stop and so what what can we do about it well the answer is we can't do much apart from stop the immune system and if we the immune system then what it does is make you vulnerable to other infections so really it's a question of we have to control for the symptoms and this can include careful use of makeup and some people do use makeup to, to mask small patches of vitiligo. It can also include um, making sure that person doesn't get sun damage to that patch of skin because even a white skin person has a, a basal level of tan on their skin which means that the UV rays and the sun that go through that patch of skin are interrupted by the presence of uh, of a low level of melanin. If you can't make any melanin then all of the UV rays that get into the skin can potentially hit the base layer of the skin, which is where the stem cells that make skin are, and those are the cells that divide very fast and can be damaged by UV and therefore become cancerous. So patches of skin which do get affected by vitiligo are much more vulnerable to being burned and you have to be really careful about that. But at the moment, while we know what causes it and we know that we could really switch down the immune system to try it, unfortunately there's nothing we can do short of causing things with, with other repercussions and side effects and we can't reverse the effect at the moment. Those cells, once they're lost don't necessarily come back. But in the future, because we're becoming much better at manipulating cells and stem cells, it might be possible to put back into those that have lost the capacity to make melanin new cells with that ability, and that would sort the problem out. But because it's so widespread in some people, it, it would potentially be quite disruptive to try to do that and, and probably quite painful too. But I'd say watch this space.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Chris Smith. We continue with your the Naked Scientist. 14 minutes to 3 o'clock. We're with Dr. Chris Smith for The Naked Scientist. And we take your calls. 11 883 And the WhatsApp line 072-702-1702. We've got a voice note.
0: Hi, i question for Dr. Chris. Do sunscreens really offer protections against the sun?
1: And if so, how does SPF work in sunscreens? How does it block the sun from damaging Precisely, skin? What the is the speech. difference in SPF 30, 40 or SPF 50 plus? KK Pretoria. All right. Um, uh, apologies, uh, doctor. Uh, we'll see what the issue is with the voice note, but let me tell you in essence what the question was. The question was, how does, um, um, do sunscreens actually work and offer protection against the sun and if so how does it work with the SPFs how does it block the sun from damaging the skin and the difference between SPFs 30 40 and 50 from KK in Pretoria
0: hello KK in Pretoria the answer is sun cream definitely works and it does protect your skin What it's protecting your skin from is the thing we were referring to just now, which is the ultraviolet component of sunlight, which has the potential to burn skin and damage the DNA of cells which make new skin, the stem cells, and can cause them to become cancerous. And that is why we use sunscreen in order to reduce the risk that UV damages the skin sufficiently to produce a potential cancer. How does it work? Well, most sun creams work by using tiny particles that are capable of, of interrupting the ultraviolet rays before they get to the skin surface. So it's almost like a chemical shield on your skin One of the most common uses zinc nanoparticles, tiny particles of zinc oxide, which are so small, they are down at the same size as the light waves that are ultraviolet. And when you've got particles that small, they very powerfully absorb the very high energy ultraviolet waves, but they don't affect the light from other colours going through. So this is why you can still see your arm when you put the, the cream on. And they basically turn the energy in the ultraviolet light by absorbing it into heat, infrared, and this is harmless to you. So although you'll get warmer, it won't actually allow as much ultraviolet to get through into the deep layers of skin where it could do harm. What do the different SPF or or protection sun protection factors mean? Well, they're a a gauge or a guide to how good that sun cream is at absorbing ultraviolet rays. So the higher the SPF number, the more ultraviolet it will screen out from the rays that are hitting you. And therefore, in theory, the longer you can spend in the sun to get the same equivalent dose as if you weren't putting any sun cream on. So they don't stop all of the ultraviolet. They merely slow it down in terms of how much is getting through and therefore the cumulative dose that you're seeing in your skin over the course of being outside. So the higher the number, the more you're soaking up of the ultraviolet and therefore the longer you have to spend in the sun proportionately to get that same dose. But there's always a wrinkle in this, including in the skin, and that wrinkle is that we miss bits, we don't apply these things evenly when we put them on, We wash them off if we go in the sea or the swimming pool and we forget to put them back on again. And as a result, there are always going to be Achilles heels, backs of ears, corners of your arms, under your chin, where you still get sun. burn and you have to be very very careful so it's a good way of reducing the risk of of damage and the photo aging effect but nothing is perfect so the best thing to do is make sure wear a hat do put the cream on but do limit your exposure to the sun in the hottest parts of the day and this will reduce the rate at which your skin ages and you will also reduce the rate at which you are likely to develop the sort of damage that could put you at risk of skin cancer
1: thank you so much kk for that question let's go to reyes from renberg hi um, how does lightning form? Oh, um, is your name pronounced Raiz or Reyes? Raiz. Raiz, nice to meet you. How old are you? Seven. Seven, okay. So uh, ask that question again. How does lightning form? How does lightning form? Good question, Raiz.
0: The answer to this one is in clouds and Up in the sky where you have a cloud, a cloud is made of lots of particles or ice crystals because it's very high and very cold up there. So you have hydrometeors, these ice crystals, in the cloud jostling around against each other because there are currents of air rising from the warm ground below pushing upwards and gravity is trying to pull these ice crystals and particles down. So they're continuously being jostled about, pushed up, falling down, pushed up, falling down and as they do that they rub against each other and we don't exactly know how but they build up a static electric charge in the course of doing that and the big particles end up at the bottom of the cloud and go negative and the smaller particles end up at the top of the cloud and go positive so what you've got is the cloud behaving like a giant battery in the sky and the accumulation of negative charge at the bottom of the cloud causes the effect that the ground... Below can see that voltage, and the air, when the charge becomes sufficiently high and the voltage becomes sufficiently high, the air breaks down and forms a conductive pathway down to Earth through which all of that charge is then dissipated down into the Earth's surface. And so the negative charges flow from the cloud down through the conductive bit of the air, which is a thin streak of the air which is where the lightning forms, and it equalises the charge between the cloud and the earth. And as it does so, a huge current flows through the air, making the air extremely hot, and because the air is getting extremely hot, it glows, and you have bright flash lightning. And this heat causes the air to expand and get much bigger, but it does it so quickly, because it's six times hotter than the surface of the sun, that the air can't get out of the way fast enough, and... The air rams into the air next door to it, causes is a shockwave, and the wave is what the thunder is. And you hear the thunder come after the flash because light travels much faster than sound. So you get a flash as the electricity flows, the air gets very hot, it expands, causes a shockwave, and then you hear a rumble of thunder.
1: All right, thank you so much, Rais, for that question. Uh, um, Irene in Polsoff says, Dr. Chris, is it possible to dissolve a blood clot by taking a blood thinner, such as warfarin or warfarin.
0: Yes, that's actually what we do. And if a person has a blood clot in, say, a lung with what's called a pulmonary embolus, then the person will often be given blood thinning drugs. Sometimes we use warfarin. There are newer classes of agents that are much easier to control these days. But we those drugs to thin the blood and reduce the potential of the blood a to make the problem worse but b to, to prevent the clot or thrombus growing any larger. And then the body's own immune and cleaning up system moves in and it slowly dissolves away or eats away the blood clot, organising the thrombus, that's what the posh pathology term is, and this opens up the blood vessel again. If you have a more acute circumstance, like a blocked artery in the heart where you've got a coronary thrombosis, this would cause a myocardial infarction or a heart attack. Sometimes what doctors do is they put chemicals down the artery itself through a tube and these dissolve the clot in situ. So rather than wait for nature to do it, you can actually put chemicals on there to break the clot down, and then you give people drugs that stop the thrombus reforming in the the place that it was. So, yes, we do do that. We do give drugs that reduce the risk of the thrombus growing and then either allow nature to remove the clot or we sometimes use chemical means to dissolve it.
1: Thank you so so much for that question and then we've got a whatsapp uh, that says hi my name is Tepiso I'm 13 years old I would like to know how twins are formed?
0: Well twins come in two different flavours of course you can either have identical twins or non-identical twins and the frequency with which twins crop up in pregnancy it's about one in every uh, 75 pregnancies And if you want triplets, it's one in every 75 squared pregnancies. And if you want quads, it's one in every 75 cubed pregnancies. So you can see the odds of this happening diminishes with the more divisions or multiples of the pregnancy you want. But the way in which twins occur, if they're not identical, this is where two eggs pop out of the ovaries at the same time. And because you've got two eggs instead of just one they can each be independently fertilised by sperm that comes in, and then you've got two embryos, they will float down the fallopian tubes and settle into the uterus, and both turn into a baby, and they grow at the same time, and luckily the, the uterus is able to cope with multiple pregnancies at the same time. With an identical twin, what happens there is that one egg comes out of the ovary, it gets fertilised by one sperm, but then for some reason, which we don't understand why, the embryo divides so as it's forming it splits in two and this produces two embryos from one because there's something special about the cells in a very early embryo that they can if you remove some of the cells because they have all the genetic information there to make a baby they just make more cells to make up for the fact that they've lost some so if you split an embryo in two at two particularly identical embryos because they've got exactly the same DNA that was in the egg that got fertilised by that sperm, and therefore you have two independent babies, but they grow as two separate individuals sharing the same DNA. Now, depending upon how they separate, sometimes... you search the web for that. Uh, Siri is so rude. (laughs) I just got got, uh, some kind of text message. But depending upon how they separate, you sometimes get them sharing a bag, the membrane they're in, or they will they will completely separate, and this is called being monochorionic or dichorionic identical twins. But basically it's because the embryo gets separated right early on at the beginning of their conception.
1: Dr. Christmas, thank you so much uh, for answering all of those questions, and thank you to the young folks that listen to 702 and get their science-related questions in on The Naked Scientist. We're back together again next week, Monday.